Hello there, and welcome to the Mike Mintel podcast. I'm just working on my Irish accent, just in case it'll come in handy one day. Uh, I don't actually even know if that is an Irish accent, but, you know, wanted to give it a go. But anyways, like that Irish dude just said, welcome to the Mike Mantel podcast. Believe it or not, it's me, Mike, your host, and your friend. I like to consider you a friend. I mean, why not? I feel like if we met, we probably would be friends. And I like the idea of treating all aspects of life as a friend. All of the different parts of myself are different friends. Every person I meet is a friend. Every project in my life is a friend. Inanimate objects are friends. This makes the world a lot friendlier. (laughs) Anyways, today's guest is another friend named Joshua Falcon Gray. I didn't ask him where Falcon came from, but I would be curious. I originally met Joshua at a men's work retreat called the Men's Leadership Intensive, run by a couple dudes, Robert Schwenkler, Joshua Hathaway, Peter Rubin, and they have an organization called the Brotherhood Community. Joshua Falcon Gray and I met at that retreat, and I was staffing it, and he was a participant at the time. And so it was cool. I got to be a space holder role for him. And then we also have since then just swapped coaching sessions with each other. So I've gotten to experience what it's like to hold space for him. I've gotten to experience what it's like for him to hold space for me. And he's a cool dude. He's a trippy guy. He's a far out guy. He's got great wisdom. He's incredibly connected to his intuition. He's very expressive. And he's just a guy who's on his path. There's a lot I respect about this man. In the conversation on this episode, we talked a lot about the work he does. So he has a service he provides called Quantum Theater and a complimentary service called Dowplay. And both of these are rooted in principles of using roleplay in order to access parts of ourselves that we have castrated or not accepted and by playing these parts of ourselves or complementary parts of ourselves in roleplay, we can actually heal these parts of ourselves. So that's part of the work that he does. And we talked about that. It was such a feasting ground for my curiosity because I'm super interested in the concept of roleplay. I'm super interested in different ways to interact with my own Jungian shadow. And so we really got in there and talked about how to use it for sexual roleplay, for healing, but also how to use non-sexual roleplay for healing. We talked about authority figures and pleasure and pain and phobias and fetishes. And I also had him walk me through what it would look like if me or the listener, you, wanted to set up my own roleplaying experiment to heal parts of myself. So I hope that will be a practical aspect of this episode. And then we talked about gender and what he believes gender to be and his beliefs on the future of gender and how perhaps humanity is in the process of merging into one unified gender blob down the road and how that potential vision could inform the ways that we relate to our own masculine and feminine energies. It was a cool conversation. I thought it was very interesting. It was very trippy. He's really crafted his own unique worldview and a lot of this episode was me exploring his worldview and really 
trying to understand what it feels like to view the world like Joshua Falcon Gray does. I want to thank you for listening to this podcast. If you've supported this podcast in any way, whether it was a rating or a review or simple words of encouragement or even this very listen, I just want to say thank you. Uh, This journey of podcasting means a lot to me. It's very close to my heart and all of the support that I've gotten from all of the people out there, it, it sinks in really deep. And so I just want to give you a very genuine thank you for any, any type of support of any degree that you've given me. If you do like this podcast and want to support it in a way that has more tangible cause and effect benefits for me, then you can go to iTunes or whatever platform you listen on and give it a rating or review. If you do that, I would be super duper grateful. It'd be awesome. If you don't feel compelled to do that, that's totally chill too. And last thing I'll say, I want this podcast not to just be me in a silo, isolated from the world, having conversations. I want it to be interactive with whoever you are listening. So if you want to give me feedback on ways you think that I could ask questions better, or people who you would like to hear from, or a direction you would like me to take this, holler at me. Go to my website and or my Facebook and send me a message. I'm very receptive to making this podcast a collaborative effort with the community who digs it. I home skillet. I'll see you in there. Hope you enjoy the episode. Hope it stretches your mind into a goop-like texture and your mind is forced to reform itself into an entirely new shape. That would be cool. I hope that you have an insight today on your relationship with your gender. However that insight may come, I think that would be cool if that happened. All right. I'll see you in there. So we're starting right now. And my first question for you, Joshua, is who are you? Hello, my name is Joshua Falcon Gray, and I am a shapeshifter. So it's hard for me to answer who I am. I, I'm <laughs> a lot of people at different times. The things that I am kind of known for are my... Uh, pointers toward paradox and so that can be done through showing transparently the inner workings of my life or in sessions with people helping point them towards the paradoxes that are kind of running their life that they're afraid to feel into and that's creating inner conflict and then um, I'm also just launching a new immersive theater company uh, called the Quantum Theater. And this is basically giving people experiential opportunities to dive into this, the nature of paradox so that they can have spiritual awakenings. And as I say that uh, spiritual, all spiritual awakenings come through the power of paradox. So this is a very powerful tool for, seen who were not specifically huh wow okay awesome and what is what does paradox mean so paradox is when the way that the human mind works is that it's fractured into all these different pieces that make it think that it's a real thing and so when different aspects of the human mind come into contact with each other and they have conflicting points of view, 
there is a paradox. There is a sense of how can this be true and this be true at the same time. And mm -hmm. that conflict creates a heightened energy and that energy is a voltage of electricity that wants to be anchored into the body. And as we create new baselines of electricity, this is what we call spiritual awakenings. And so by hmm. being able to accept through the power of paradox, these new realities and no longer have to fight this one or this one and accept both to be true in different dimensions, we have disillusions of what you would call the ego or the mind and we wake up into heightened states of awareness permanently cool okay yeah okay i like that so the idea being so i'm this mic and i'm full of like a million different mini mics each kind of with their own reality and together they're forming some illusion of a consistent mic but they all have different realities, and when two realities clash, that's when I see that there's like a hole in the system and where I can transcend my sense of self. Was that a fair reflection? Yeah, so basically all of the senses of self that you know think I am Mike are you'll you'll notice like when you're angry or when you're happy or when you're sad, like you have completely different value systems. We have completely different priorities. Hmm. And so all these senses of self have very different priorities. And so it makes us confused and it makes us appear to be self-sabotaging because why do, they, why do I keep doing this thing? Why do I keep living in this pattern? And it's basically hmm. I'm moving, when I'm triggered in some way, I'm moving into this other value system, which is not the core of who I am. It's a conditioned value system. And so by approaching these through paradox and being mm -hmm. able to hold that energy allows the conditioning to no longer be fighting and then it, it dissolves. Yeah. Mm. Okay. So how, how would you get at this if you were to drop just an example through the, the I forget the wording you use, but the drama drama based project? Yeah. So and my new organization, the Quantum Theater, mm -hmm. has these experiences, which are I call them immersive theater. And mm -hmm. I, I don't need to make that up. That's a like a budding industry now. Immersive theater. You can think of the very most basic immersive theater experience, like going into a haunted house. You know, it's just yeah. it's a play where there's no stage, and you are experiencing the play from inside of it. And so right. you separate yourself from the play and it becomes very immersive that way. Right. Okay. You're like get, creating an alternative reality for people to enter into. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Wow. So yeah, virtual reality is basically immersive theater in the digital world. How do you tie that into this idea of finding paradoxes? Right. So when I do this one-on-one -on -one with people, this is, this is how it started. I do a, modality that I call Tao play, which is basically embodying characters through role-playing experiences where people play characters that they have previously rejected or characters that they feel, you know, um, not an affinity for, characters that they judge and characters that they hate or just feel disgust toward. 
or they might feel um, they might embody characters that they feel intimidated by. They might embody authority figures. They might embody different characters that they sense have power over them. And when we're doing that, we are actually subconsciously rejecting that power that we think other people have over us. And so by learning to embody these characters of authority figures and people that you know, disgust us and, and things like that, mm-hmm. it gives us this opportunity to run the same energy that those characters do that we've been resisting and that actually heals consciousness, it heals illness, it gives us access to our power that we've been rejecting because we've made it wrong somehow. And so the immersive theater experiences actually give the audience a participatory role to play these characters that are, you know, archetypal energies that they may have been rejecting in some way. Mm. Dude, wow. This is just uh, amazingly like topical for me. Everything you're talking about has been really like burning on my um, stove of interest recently. Mm-hmm. Last week, I talked to a lady named Cleo Dubois, who's a so she's a BDSM teacher, mm. but she uses kink for for healing, for spiritual investigation, and and yeah, a lot of what I've been thinking about is in the context of BDSM. So to use an example. Let's say there's some part of me that feels like um, sexual desire if I embody a student that did something wrong. And maybe that's a part of myself I don't feel okay with or something, but I find someone who, I can, can, who we both consent to playing out this scene. So she's a teacher disciplining me. I'm a student who did something wrong. And I'm bringing forth this part of myself that hasn't been explored before. But I'm wondering, I guess a question I've been having in doing like shadow theater like this is at least in your experience why does sometimes such shadow theater have sex erotic energy behind it and sometimes it doesn't so for me like that particular scene would have erotic energy but if i were the teacher to someone else's student it probably wouldn't mm-hmm. yeah so there's an interesting thing about erotic energy and I like to say that all healing is sexual healing. Huh. Wow, what a great statement. <laughs> because it's just our, you know, feminine sexuality or our masculine sexuality, which is undergoing a liberation of some kind. And so when we are feeling erotic energy, we're actually entering into the space. And, and I am aware that the way that I describe this is, you know, could potentially be triggering or upsetting for some people because I talk about this stuff in a very, you could say, non-romantic way. You know, I'm, mm. I'm going to go straight into the direct analysis of like what erotic energy is about and it can feel like I am almost rejecting erotic energy, but I'm not. And I mm. love having sex and I love all that, mm-hmm. all the play, but I look at it for what it really is. And so basically, in eroticism, we are actually desiring to use the other person for gaining access to energies 
that we don't normally allow ourselves to have access to. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, this makes it, um, this can make it scary for people to know, like, I'm in my relationship to be using my partner. That doesn't feel very good. Well, you know, just like a, one of those little birds who like sits on top of a rhinoceros and, you know, eats the insects that are on the rhino, you know, the rhino is using the bird as an insect eater and the bird is using the rhino as an insect provider and they're living in harmony and they're friends. And so there's nothing wrong with, you know, a relationship being both friendly, loving, and utilitarian. Right. Well, do you mind if I ask you a question there? Yeah, yeah, sure, go ahead. Also, just as a heads up, I'm shutting my eyes because it's helping me tune in better. So, just Yeah, want... me too. I do the same thing. <laughs> yeah, cool, cool. Well, so I'm wondering, it sounds like where what I'm hearing when you're talking about that is almost like um, a, a synergy of intimacy, but of getting somewhere you couldn't get by yourself, both you and your partner getting somewhere you couldn't get by yourself. But what I'm wondering is, uh, does that have to be erotic? Because I could imagine you and I dancing with each other or singing with each other and me getting into flows of song and harmony that I wouldn't get into if I were just singing by myself. I mean, even we're entangling sexual energy at this moment right now. Oh, wow. Interesting. Yeah, because like I'm having ideas that bring forth, you know, energies that were locked up in my identity and in my throat and all this stuff. So your questions actually liberate the movement of that and then when i finish saying something you have an idea and we play right. off of each other it liberates yours yeah so but God. so so what i'm hearing is that like all forms of creative intimacy you, you would describe as flow of sexual energy i would say being a human is being sex hmm. and so if you're breathing out you are embodying the masculine at that moment and if you're breathing in you're embodying the feminine at that moment huh. Huh. well one thing i'm wondering is we often i think a, a a common marker for when something becomes sexual is when there's energy stimulation in the genitals like if i start getting an erection or feeling tingling in my balls or whatever that for a lot of people would be the threshold of like okay it was just pleasure before or creativity before but now it's sexual and i'm wondering maybe that's an arbitrary threshold but does do you make anything of that threshold yeah sure so it's it's really important that you bring up the word pleasure and that's something Mm. i can also talk about in a Mm in a way that can be very triggering for people too. Mm-hmm. Um, but so every aspect of the, the body has a different definition of pleasure, right? So the identity, the stomach will have a different definition of pleasure than the heart or the genitals or the throat. And so, different types of pleasure are going to trigger different feelings in different parts of the body, right? And so the important thing about pleasure, and this is what, you know, may not be super comfortable for everybody to hear, Mm -hmm. is that the 
need for pleasure, the desire for pleasure is actually based on wounding. The desire for pleasure is always the avoidance of pain and it's always moving toward pleasure to get away from pain. Hmm. And so it's two polarities of wounding. And so what they say in tantric teachings is basically when you're able to transcend the need for pleasure and the avoidance of pain, you arrive into what they call bliss. And this is a state where you're no longer seeking pleasure because you're in bliss and you're no longer avoiding pain because you're in bliss and you don't need to be tempted for either one of those. And so you notice that both pain and pleasure have uh, polarized temptations. So when the genitals are stimulated, it's based on the first and second chakra wounding, which is all about security and creativity and allowing to be seen and felt and allowing to make an impact. And so when specific energies are triggered as like you could potentially be pleasured in this way, that's when those specific energies activate the genital region. Right, but you could go to Disneyland and go on a roller coaster and get pleasure from that without getting an erection because mm -hmm. that's going to give you a different type of pleasure because it's going to be stimulating a different part of the body which has a different value system. Huh. Well, so would that imply that once you've, I don't know if it's possible to ever do all of the healing, but once you've done theoretically all of like the healing of your uh genit or your root first two chakras that you wouldn't have desire for sexual pleasure absolutely yeah hmm. yeah and um it's it's the uh the point of the sexual eroticism is that it's basically providing um a gateway to the complete opening of your third eye. And so the genital region is stimulated with energy that ultimately wants access to your third eye. And so the uh, erotic arts or the uh, sexual healing process is basically the cultivation of moving that kundalini energy up your spine and being able to relax into it so that it's able to travel all the way up, which means your body would have to hold a lot of voltage to do that. And so this is why, you know, I'm sure a lot of people listening have heard about the withholding of ejaculation or mm -hmm. the, um, you know, there's like Taoist principles of moving the orgasmic energy up the spine instead of you know coming mm -hmm. and the point of this is to not just to hold it not just to um you know have a pat on the back for not coming but to actually to embody more of that energy which is a paradox like you know if you think of the traditional you know you could say the traditional american man Mm -hmm. have sex without coming is a paradox already. 
Mm. Got it. Well, so in the example, because I'm actually reading Multi-Orgasmic Man, the book right now, which, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, for anyone who doesn't know, is uses some principles from Taoist practices to cultivate sexual energy. And instead of ejaculating, being able to have an internal, multiple internal orgasms and running the sexual energy instead of out through cum, up, like you were saying, up the spine and circulating through the body. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of in the midst of exploring these things, but I'm very green, green, so to speak. But so the idea that you're saying is if you run the energy up the spine, is is that a process? So I'm, I'm trying to link the two ideas as you're talking about. One of the desire for pleasure in each chakra is ultimately a call for healing. And then the second idea of running sexual energy up the spine and up the chakras to the third eye. I was curious how those two things link together. Does that question make sense? I think so. Why don't I kind of approach it from just explaining another principle that um, may or may not link them. Sure. So basically, as we want to, you know, as our body wants to embody its divine blueprint, its complete God self, its perfect, you know, homeostasis, there are a lot of energetic blockages that prevent this because of our conditioning, you know, embedding uh, just a lot of locked energy in our muscles and our fascia tissues and our organs. And this is what prevents that sexual energy from moving out of the second chakra and into the third chakra and into the fourth chakra. And, you know, that's the, the sexual organs to the mm-hmm. uh, stomach, to the heart, and then up onto the throat. And so the whole point of all of this work is to remove those blockages so that the energy is allowed to flow freely and consciously. And Hmm. those blockages are created by rules that we have made, which are based on the resistance to paradox. Hmm. And so if we can allow the paradox of the value system of the second chakra is okay, the value system of the third chakra is okay simultaneously. The mm-hmm. value system of the fourth chakra and the fifth chakra are okay simultaneously. You know, this is like paradox stacked on paradox, stacked mm-hmm. on paradox, stacked on paradox. And so it takes a lot of, you know, getting out of the way to be able to ha- allow all of this to exist simultaneously and essentially make sense too. And, and what's really interesting is like when we're speaking in language, you can't really make it make sense all of the time because if you're speaking from the perspective of the third chakra, mm-hmm. then you're not going to make sense to people who are listening from the fifth chakra. Right, right. You know, it's like this is why you'll, you'll often hear spiritual masters conflicting themselves and or I'm sorry contradicting themselves Mm -hmm. because you just can't put all of this into words 
at the same time, which is why I love speaking in paradox and saying things that kind of make your brain melt because it's designed to give you more allowing of paradox. Mm. So when you're speaking in like teacher role of explaining these principles, are you speaking from a particular chakra or at least in this moment were you? I tend to oscillate between them and that's really what makes my work effective is mm. I'm like listening. So I, I'm, I'm often speaking from, um, you know, my 3D practical um, make it accessible identity, which is, you know, just my stomach, third chakra. And then in doing that, I am also simultaneously listening to my heart. Is there any information you want to provide to this experience? And you'll hear me sometimes when I'm talking kind of stutter or take a breath hmm. or listen for just like, even right now, I'm just like, mm -hmm. and as I do that, my energy goes to my third eye, my energy goes to my throat, my energy goes to my seventh chakra, and I'm just listening for which, you know, intuitively, which other part of my body has information to make this a more holistic teaching, which other part mm. of my body has um, mm. something delicious, that's really what I listen for, is the deliciousness to insert into what's being said so that it's not anything that's ever been heard before and it's not something that is um you know repeating what somebody else said it's it's actually a an alchemical fusion mm. of what my unique intuition wants to convey at this moment and that's the soul speaking cool dude awesome those those hot <laughs> <laughs> one, one thing i wanted to bring it back to that we talked we were touched on a couple minutes ago when we were talking about shadow theater or, or using theater and drama and acting to play out different roles within our shadow and i had asked about um why are some erotic and some aren't and then you were explaining that what chakra wants to be the one the chakra that wants that gets pleasure from it is the one that needs healing so that so i guess i'm for me to understand that that would mean that there might be a form of shadow theater that i like for example the one i talked about earlier with a student role um that would be sexually arousing for me that would mean uh, arousing to my my cock um yeah that would indicate that there's that type of shadow theater would be healing for my the energy of that chakra but if there were maybe another role play where like my heart wants, but my cock doesn't want, that that would be healing to my, my heart chakra? Is that a accurate listening on my part? Absolutely. And you can even specifically and intentionally design a scene where it would potentially be for both. Or mm -hmm. you, know, you, can, you can take the recipe that you want, basically, and design a scene specifically for those intentions. And that's what I do mm. when I go into a session with somebody is I actually like, kind of intellectually analyze with them, here's exactly what I'm hearing, here's the polarity that is being rejected, and needs, you know, the paradox needs to uh, release a charge. And so I discover that polarity. And then, um, yeah, we designed the scene exactly mm. based on which charge needs to be released. 
Mm. And do the archetypes or the roles just emerge on their own from there? Well, I I tend to. This is something I'm still learning to teach because mm. um, a lot of the time I use just my intuition, where I kind of psychically connect to someone's field and I download like imagery and stuff mm. from their past lives and stuff. And so I use um, archetypal imagery that is just coming to me intuitively. And so that's something that's not as easy to teach somebody else how to do. Yeah, usually it's like, you know, since we all grew up as children with parents, a lot of times there's authority, trauma, and um, so authority figures are a big thing. And then mm. there's just the sort of disgust trauma like anyone that you're disgusted with holds a lot of power because that's something you're clearly rejecting as well right oh oh cool D huh Th i don't know if this thought will resonate with you at all but i'm just going to throw it out there and i'm curious if you have anything to say on it because i was on a um san pedro journey recently the psychedelic cactus and a theme of my trip it was in the forest was i was first of all was coming into deep disgust. Na I was finding nature to be disgusting. There was just d decay and like bugs all around me. And then I was seeing these parts of myself. Oh, dude, I actually went on this trip after you and I had our call together. Do you remember that? Mm -hmm. And the call we had actually quite informed this trip too. So I wanted to thank you for that. I don't know if I ever did. But yeah, there was some part of me that was coming out. It felt like venom from Spider-Man. And it was this disgusting sludge monster. And I felt deep disgust by it. And... But also at the same time, I was getting all of these sexual images of women's nylons and breasts and butt and feet, just like these fetish images. And I, I felt this, it, I don't know why, but it felt to me like phobia and fetish felt like two sides on the same coin. And I was seeing images of spiders, which I have phobia around, piercing through women's nylons. Uh, it, was, it was actually quite weird and disturbing, but I'm curious if that's something that you've thought about the relationship between fetish and phobia. Same exact concept I'm sharing here, which is different, different words, same concept, pleasure and pain, right? So every wound you could say is made up of two, two polarities, pleasure and pain, or you could also say is made up of desire and fear, right? So if you have a paradoxical charge that's unresolved between let's say student and teacher then you'll have a des desire to be the student and a fear of being the student a desire to be the teacher and a fear of being the teacher right and so in that uh, quadrant in those four quadrants this is like the sort of intellectual analysis that I do before a session mm -hmm. in those four quadrants there is going to be a perspective that is most familiar, like, oh, yeah, you know, I feel the desire to be a student all the mm -hmm. time, right? I feel the desire to be a teacher all the time. And then there's going to be a quadrant which is the most foreign. Like, I can't ever imagine myself feeling the desire to be a student or the right. fear of being a student. I can't imagine myself being, having the fear of being a student. Okay, and so whichever one is the most foreign, we can assume has the biggest energetic blockage around it because that is what has caused it to appear the most foreign because mm. it's been 
made unconscious by the ego from the conscious huh. mind. Right. I see. So that's it. So the one that's most foreign, is that the one that you find richest to explore or not necessarily? Yep. Yep. Exactly. Okay. Got it. Wow. Cool. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, it's very simple too. Once you know the mechanics of it. Got it. Well, so I'm curious, this might be out of the scope of this conversation. And if it is, you're totally welcome to just speak that up. So if you could give me tools or a person listening tools. So let's say I feel a block in my throat and I want to design an experiment with a friend or a a romantic partner or whatever for me to work through that and for them to work through their own stuff. How would you suggest for someone to to kind of craft their own craft their own way of working through blockages in intimacy. Yeah, so it starts with finding the most charged polarity. So mm-hmm. like you identified student teacher as a polarity mm-hmm. for you and so let's say in intimacy that could even be the case, you know, I've had that in intimate relationships too where there's sort of a struggle between, oh, I'm the teacher, and you're the student. No, I'm the teacher, and you're the student. Mm-hmm. You know, just kind of a power struggle. And so that can be a polarity to identify within the relationship and dissolve the charge. And um, there can be other polarities such as, you know, and you find the one that's truly hottest for you. Mm-hmm. Polarities like abundance and poverty or uh, right and wrong or um, smart and stupid, you know, you find the polarity that feels the most charged and you can do this with hundreds of polarities. You know, that, that's really where we get to dislodge all the conditioning in our nervous system is um, discovering how we actually have conditioning around all of these polarities and you can role play within, you know, each of them. And so, you know, depending on the energetic skills of the person who wants to do this exercise for more intimacy, you can either determine the exact polarity that's causing the blockage in your throat, for example, or you can just find any polarity that feels hot, feels charged and start working with that. Mm, Cool. Okay. So let's say the polarity is smart and dumb or something like that. So if I were with a partner, so the four quadrants are desire for me to feel smart, desire for me to feel dumb, resistance to feeling smart, and resistance to feeling dumb. And yeah, so let's fear of. Oh, or fear of okay yeah, and let's so for me personally, like I feel fear of um, feeling dumb feels the biggest. So I would design something with my partner where there's like a scene where I'm embodying that in some way, and he or she would be embodying the opposite. Well, so let's start with internally because internally we all have all four. When, the, when our partner is embodying something that causes us to feel disgust or causes us to feel triggered in some way, that is only happening because we are unconsciously inviting it in because we need it. And so once we stop inviting it in, our whole relationship dynamic will change. And suddenly, you know, our partner, if they're acting in in, uh, their own sort of 
unconscious shadow behavior, they will also immediately wake up to that behavior and the hypnosis that, you know, it, it's sort of a, a mutually agreed upon spell that each other are in. Mm. If one person wakes up, you both wake up. Ah, interesting. Yeah, so it doesn't have to be um, that it doesn't have to be couples work necessarily, you know. And mm. so when I say you, one person wakes up, you both wake up, that doesn't necessarily mean it's pretty. You know, like mm. one person wakes up, the other person might be triggered by that and not want their partner to feel powerful, and then they might leave. They might abandon you, and then you get to experience another one. But the but what they're waking up out of is they're waking up out of the uh, sense of I I have control over this person or I can manipulate this person. They wake up out of the ability to manipulate. Hmm. Got it. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Well, and then I want to just take that thread one further. So whether it's with a partner or whomever, but if you were going to actually go about like designing a container to explore a polarity, once you've identified which quadrant you want to work on, uh, what, what would you do next in order to create, create that container with the person? Can you repeat that question? Yeah, so let's take the example we were talking about. So there's me and um, in the smart, dumb, the fear and desire to feel smart or feel dumb. Let's say my biggest thing is the fear of feeling dumb. Mm-hmm. And so if I'm with a partner or a friend or a coach or whomever, and I want to wake up or, or heal that quadrant, how, how would I go about uh, setting up a container to do so? Right. So that's sort of the temptation is to heal that quadrant. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. And so if you notice, healing that quadrant would bring me pleasure. Yes. <laughs> yes. Right. So the temptation is to get rid of this thing I don't like so I can finally get pleasure. Right. 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 So that quadrant is not actually where the juice lies. Mm. That's why we go to the foreign quadrant. That's why we go to the one that seems uh, okay. irrelevant. Okay. Okay, cool. So if we were go to go to the, the foreign quadrant, how, how might I set up a container to explore that one? Yeah, so why don't we pick that first and we can make an example. Okay, cool. So let's just take the one we've been playing with um smart dumb so for me let's see so there's fear of feeling dumb desire to feel dumb fear of feeling smart desire to feel smart let me feel into each of them mm-hmm. oh they're all so interesting feeling um the desire to feel dumb is the one that stands out as the most foreign even though i know there is something in there for me sure sure cool Yeah, so that's a good one because most people can't imagine, like, you know, why would I want to feel stupid? That's like the most terrifying feeling in the world. Why would I want that? Right. That is actually where the the magic lies. So then just to start uh, discovering what that character looks like, we we build a character off of that. So then I would say to you, 
um, okay, well, I'm going to give you some examples of desiring to feel dumb, and you can tell me what resonates with you, what feels true. Mm, mm -hmm. Okay, so I'll give you some. I'm just going to tune in myself and just give you some examples. Cool. I hope that I can appear stupid so that other people take responsibility. I hope that I can appear less than so that other people will take care of me. I hope that I can gain sympathy so that somebody will offer me resources or offer me services. Hmm. See how I'm kind of tuning into the benefits of that particular quadrant? Yes, absolutely. Okay, cool. Yeah, I love that. So, okay. And then once I, so for this one, for me, I would say the reason I would want to feel dumb is, yeah, sympathy so that people feel bad for me and take care of me and love me and extend me care. Right. And so just intuitively, I would call this the wounded child persona. Uh, okay. Cool. Right. And, I, and I want sympathy. Yeah. I see. Okay. And you, so when you're setting this up, you, like you said, you'll get intuitive hits on how, what archetypes to bring up around these. Yeah. And so yeah, yeah, what, yeah. if, if you and I were going to go into that right now and do like a role playing experience, what would be most exciting for me would be for me to embody your wounded child so that I can say all the things that you may not realize you're actually thinking, mm. right? So you actually get to hear the voice of your nervous system and kind of laugh about it a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, get some perspective. Yeah, and then um, you would play the role of the authority figure, you know, be it mother or father or God or a teacher or, you know, we, we might like tune into someone in your life who feels like, um, you know, particularly uh, strong to the wounded child. Mm. Okay, so let's say, for example, it's grandma who always gives the wounded child a bowl of soup when he feels um, you know, weak and sick and, and that's like what he's always craving. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, then finally, you know, grandma to the rescue brings this bowl of soup. So then I would like play the role of grandma and then I would design the scenario to be at the crux of a story point where, you know, because if you, if you look at story structure, it always has a beginning, a middle, and an end. Mm -hmm. And the way that our trauma is stuck in the middle of a story is it's stuck at a climax. It's stuck in a dramatic sort of what's going to happen. And that's what creates this sort of fight, flight, or freeze scenario is because this, this trauma, the story was never resolved. And so the whole point of this role play is to bring that story into resolution, into completion. Mm. Oh, dude, it's like when a song gets stuck in your head and you need to you need to hear it on the radio in full in order to get it out. That's brilliant. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Because so, you hear the ending. Right, 
Well, so I'm wondering, do because I know from in my experience, it can be hard to get into role play character because I might feel embarrassed or just like uh, ashamed at expressing that way. And I'm wondering, do you do people that you work with ever have trouble getting into character? And if if so, are there any tips that you can give folks that make it easier to um, role play or embody an archetype? Right. So that's a great question. One of the reasons that I in our example, I said that I would play the wounded child is because most people would have a harder time uh, playing themselves because they are so resistant to that in the first place. That's why Mm -hmm. it is challenging. And so it's actually easier for you to play the role of grandma or to play the role of God or to play the role of a parent because you know exactly what they sound like. You know exactly the power that you believe you don't have. And it's actually easy. And and this is the funny thing about role playing is people think that they're bad at role playing, but you know, people are playing roles 95% of their day. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. (laughs) It is funny. And it's kind of, it's kind of trippy too, actually. People are, are like, uh, like let's say for example, just a really small thing. Like sure. the mailman comes over and drops off the mail, and and I'm like pissed off at the mailman, and I'm like, damn it, why'd you have to open the mailbox so loudly in the middle of my podcast, mm. fucker? You know, like mm. I don't know if I'm allowed to curse on here, but I just did. Yeah, yeah, you're good. <laughs> um, and so then the mailman comes to the door and knocks on the door and I'm pissed off and I come to the door. I'm like, hi, how are you doing? You know, I'm right. playing a role. Mm. Right. And then I'm like, okay, thanks for the package. Have a nice day. You know, I'm playing a role. Then the mailman leaves. And then, um, I say to my partner, hi, I'm Mr. Mailman. And I come right up to the knock in the middle of my podcast and blah, blah, blah. And right. then I'm playing another role. Right. But even if the mailman can't knock to the door and instead you're like, hey, fuck you. I was in the middle of a podcast and you're a piece of shit and go suck a turd. Like, <laughs> would, would, would you consider that to be a role or does that feel authentic because it's – or is there any transcending roles, I guess? Right. Well, that's a role too, but it's a – that's an unconscious role. And so you, there's conscious roles and unconscious roles. And so, and they each have layers over layers over layers. So that, what you just mentioned Mm -hmm. would be the role of essentially, you know, the victim Mm -hmm. is a role. And so by playing the role of the victim consciously, we make it conscious and then we're no longer addicted to that role. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? So like if I went up to the mailman and I said, Hey, you know, I'm actually really pissed right now. Do you, would you mind if I just played a little role to work this out with you? And then the mailman's like, "Yeah, sure." You know, I'm a psychotherapist mailman. Let, yeah. Let me hold space for you, bro. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So then, so then you're like, "Okay, I'm gonna go for it. I'm really gonna let you have it, but just keep in mind this is my trauma, and I don't really, I'm not trying to actually abuse you. So this is safe space." Right. You know, here's your safe word, mailman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You fucking mailman! I hate you so much. You ruin everything about my life. And you're the worst thing that ever happened to me. And then you're playing that role consciously. Mm. Then it actually evacuates, you know, it expunges the locked up energy in your nervous system and it actually creates a healing experience. 
Mm. Yeah, that's beautiful. And I like that just because it, I can relate a lot to that in relationship. Like it just feels so different to receive victim or persecutor or whatever from a partner when they don't know that they're doing it and it's just spewing out of them. And then that, you know, that gets me in the cycle versus if there's a container around it. Right. And so actually for myself, just in my personal life, if I ever do like fall into a victim mindset and I'm speaking from it and it mm. doesn't feel good and I'm like, something's going on. I don't really know how to define it right now. And then like, let's say I'm hanging out with a friend or something and then I leave. I'll actually, uh, I do this regularly. My friends think I'm weird. Um, I'll call and I'll leave a voicemail for my friend on you know, WhatsApp or on Facebook or whatever. And I'll be like, hey, just want to acknowledge that when I said this and this and this, I was in my shadow, I was in the victim role, and just mm. kind of clearing the energy, calling myself out. You know, you don't need to respond to this. I'm not apologizing. Just want to make this mm. conscious and, you know, have a nice day. Dude, that's awesome. It's essentially like, okay, you missed the opportunity to tell the mailman that you want to make a container to express your victim, and you just yelled at him. But at least after the fact, you're like, hey, when I told you to suck a turd, just wanted to let you know. That was, it's like, it's, it's the next best thing you can do, I suppose. Yeah, and it's for yourself also. It's like, it's like writing in your journal. It's, it's bringing um, that energy into the real world and being witnessed either by your journal or by another person in a voicemail or just having a conversation, being witnessed in some way makes it real and that's what actually dissolves the charge. Wow, okay, gosh, I wanna keep going down this thread because then you talking about witness, that got me really interested, but we have like 10 minutes left and there's one question I, I wanna change gears because I, I, I know I wanted to ask you. I'm having a blast. Me too, man. This is this feels very. Um, I, I feel very connected to you, which feels nice. So the last time we talked, there was something you said to me that really stuck out, and I've since wanted to ask you more about it. But I remember you said that you believe that deep into the future, we're going to the human species is going to merge into a single gender. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you recall saying that or if that mm-hmm. uh, rings a bell, but if that is something that resonates with your thought process. I'm curious if you could expand upon that. Sure. Yeah. So I just want to preface this with, this is not going to be in our lifetime. This is not going to be in the next lifetime or the next lifetime or the next lifetime. This might be like 5,000 years from now or something. Mm. Right. So it's not something we actively need to worry about, but it does inform a little bit of our choices today specifically in that it gives us context for why we need to resolve our polarity entanglements, right? Because if parts of me are addicted to um, giving away my power in the feminine and parts of me are addicted to controlling in the masculine, then these are the aspects that are not allowed to uh, merge and are not making space for that evolutionary experience of becoming that sort of one gender. And it, it's, these, it, it's sort of a, um, a visualization of a trajectory that the human experience is, if you make it all okay, if you make all of masculine energies and all of feminine energies okay, then you're no longer resisting 
becoming, you know, a man is no longer resisting becoming a man. A man is no longer resisting becoming a woman. A mm. man has nothing to resist. And so naturally we gain the superpowers of the other gender in addition to our own. Some people are, and I, and I don't think this will be too triggering, but, you know, mm -hmm. trigger warning just in case. Yeah. Some people are sort of predicting this happening many, many years in the future. You know, my guess was 5,000. I have no idea. But, um, you know, people are, are becoming more and more commonly transgender today because there is the energetic foreshadowing of this happening. And so this is basically giving us the, the uh, clues of where humanity is wanting us to evolve in order to become friends with all of these energies. And ultimately where we're going, and this is something you know, not verifiable, this, you could just call this my opinion, is basically humans will be creating babies without having sex and the it's just through energy it's basically like here's my intention here's your intention we merge them energetically and basically probably there will be like some kind of physical component like a, a physical egg maybe comes out of either partner you could say since there's no genders um, i don't know exactly how the egg thing will work then externally without sex there's like a energetic infusement into this sort of egg and then the child can, can grow or gestate probably externally because of the inconvenience of carrying a child it it seems like it's going to become a more and this can also be triggering to people you have to keep in mind that technology and biology are merging and so technology right now is very cold and very sterile and very impersonal and not warm and 5,000 years in the future technology will feel like mother it's going to be designed so specifically for comfort and and for or more accurately to fit in with nature that nature will recognize technology as nature so a baby will be more than glad growing in a technology infused environment because it will be indistinguishable for the baby from the mother's womb dude cool that's a trippy fucking world that you're spelling out there Huh. Yeah, and I'm just I'm just seeing it as I'm as I'm sharing it. I don't really talk about this too much in my work because it's not super relevant, but it's it's an interesting thing to you know see as our trajectory. I I agree, and so just to clarify some terms. So my understanding of sex, sex, the fact that I'm a male sex simply means that I have an XY chromosome, I have a penis, etc. And gender. So when you say gender you're referring to sets of energy that are described to either be masculine or feminine. And I'm what, are you familiar with uh, Justin and London's work at all? Justin Patrick Pearson, London, I think her name is Angel Winters. I don't think so. Okay. They're, they're also in like the 
masculine feminine world he was a student of david data's i believe but the only reason i bring it up is just because they use different terminology instead of masculine feminine uh they use the terminology alpha omega and three i i i don't i i guess i've taken challenge with the terms masculine feminine instead of yin and yang or whatever just because and i guess i'm wondering if you can speak to that if if there's if those words make intuitive sense to you or, and how those relate to what gender even means yeah well i mean if you think of something completely not biological like i'm just picturing an asteroid flying through space okay mm -hmm. so if you think of that and you compare it to sex a penis and a vagina the asteroid is kind of playing the masculine role because it's piercing space right and then space is just playing the feminine role because it's it's the void right and so that's really the only relationship between the two is that it it basically represents sex as we know it right but masculine feminine will always be relevant energetically because it's still going to exist even when humans stop having sex right so it's just represented by sex because that's what we need to learn as polarity in this time in our evolution right mm. but we came from or potentially i can't say this with facts but we potentially came from these single-celled organisms that didn't have sex and then we're going through this period of consciousness where we've evolved specifically to have sex in order to learn how to uh, just merge these polarities and then we will evolve out of the stage of having sex so the stage of sex is specifically so that we can master masculine and feminine polarities which will still exist when we're no longer having sex well something i wonder is at least in my experience of learning about masculine and feminine energies they're often associate each one is often associated with a set of a wider range of characteristics so on like the more i don't know esoteric end i've heard masculine energy described as pure consciousness and feminine energy described as pure light or form that exists within the consciousness or for example if i'm coaching someone and i'm holding space for them i am creating a container for them to express and so feminine energy i've often heard is creative expression effusive but it also can be like wild and chaotic and then masculine energy is this grounded thing that that holds the space for the expression but it can also be too rigid or too structured and i'm wondering if those type of descriptions resonate with your views and if so how the because those to me don't necessarily relate to the penis entering vagina and, and i d yeah i'm wondering if you can riff on that or if, if that makes sense yeah you know this is i'm glad you brought that up because this is this is so funny because if if you think of a yin and yang mm -hmm. symbol there's the dot in the center you know there's a black dot in the white and there's a white dot in the black yeah and this is really important because it's really showing you that they are completely inseparable when someone like you said when someone is expressing wildly that is 
being pushed by the charge of the feminine energy, but the expression itself is a masculine energy. Does that make sense? Mm, yeah, so yeah, yeah. if someone is healing their feminine, if someone is liberating their feminine, they're going to be very expressive and they might even appear very dominant. And when someone appears dominant, they're actually liberating their feminine. And so when, when someone is very passive or, you know, like when someone is, is moving into the space of surrendering, when someone is moving into the space of making things easy and being a sort of a conduit and they're becoming more feminine, mm -hmm. they're actually healing their addiction to control. They're healing their piercing masculine, right? So you could, I mean, they're healing both. That's why, that's why healing is a funny word. One cannot exist without the other. That's why a really helpful way to phrase it is, simply role-playing because role-playing is pointing at which energy are you expressing versus which energy lives inside of you. Got it. Uh, cool, man. We have run into time here and I'm just curious if you could put out where can people find you and I know you've talked about what you do, but if you want to speak to any other reasons why a listener might want to look you up. Yeah, thanks. So I do... Dow play sessions as part of the quantum theater offerings and Dow play sessions are about 90 minutes and just as we described in depth here it turns your world inside out and gives you an experience of uh, who you thought you were and then that becomes who you're not and yeah liberates your consciousness from traumatized thought loops and frees up energies providing more abundance in every way, intimacy, self-love, everything without having to even know what's happening. It's just, it's just easy and fun and beautiful. And so Dow Play Sessions are 90 minutes. Those are available on the Quantum Theater website to apply for. So the Quantum Theater website is quantum.theater. And it's theater spelled like the American way with a T-E-R and yeah, quantum.theater and there's some more information about the upcoming group experiences there. I, I'm uh, actually working today on putting, putting up some new scheduled dates for uh, upcoming group theater experiences, which is really also beautiful unravelings, different topics, there's one called the father field. There's one for comedy. There's all kinds of different experiences depending on which topic you're interested in. So the uh, personal ones go a little more deep, a little deeper, a little more specific for you, private ones. And then the group ones, you know, have a kind of a bigger field because it's a group energy and they're a little less expensive. They're, they're a lot less expensive. Mm -hmm. So more accessible that way. Mm -hmm. So yeah, whatever floats your boat and feel free to add me on Facebook, Joshua Falcon Gray. Hell yeah. Thanks, man. I'll post links to all that below. And dude, just really want to thank you for meeting today and for willing to just get in there with me. This was so, um, this was really fun and I felt very comfortable asking questions from a vulnerable place with you. And, 
And I also just want to speak to uh, this conversation feels really important for my own inquiry around life and exploration. And it feels um, synchronistic to the things I've been thinking about. And you really flushed out a lot. So I just want to thank you for being a really just a valuable person in my own journey of exploration. Yeah, yeah. And I, I am stoked on everything that you share. And I love the content that you put out. And yeah, really excited to you know be your brother. Hey, friends. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you got something out of this episode. I know that I sure had a blast with it. If you enjoy this podcast, please head over to iTunes and give it a five-star rating. I'm offering an exchange right now where if it feels in alignment for you to give this podcast five stars, then send me a message on Facebook, let me know you did it, and then I'll sit down, take some time to grok your profile, and I will write you a thoughtful and sincere compliment. Truly, please take me up on it. And if this episode touched on something you think a friend might find titillating, pass it on to them too. And I just want to say, I bring my utmost sincerity to each of these conversations, and I really do want to spread vibes and information that cause people to reflect and deepen and just live a more honest, kind, and vivacious life. Because I really believe that the state of the world needs everything that we can give it. It needs people to be at full capacity. It needs people to be living their life fully and giving their greatest positive impact to humanity. And so if I can just flick over one domino with this podcast that flicks over a couple more that lead people into living their life fully and giving back to the earth, then by Jove, man, I will be a happy dude. So trying to do my part here and any help, love, and support, I would just so greatly appreciate. And at the very least, I am super appreciated that you listened to this episode and much love, folks. I'll see you next time.